This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Presented by Legacy Precious Metals. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio. We are the crown jewel of talk radio. Uh, And joining us now, we are privileged to have Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who proudly represents New York's 21st district. Uh, Elise Stefanik is in her fifth term uh, and serves as the House Republican Conference Chairman. She also happens to be the most senior Republican in Congress from the state of New York. Uh, At the time of Elise Stefanik's first election in 2014, she was the youngest woman ever elected to Congress in U.S. history. She continues her historic rise, is now currently the youngest woman ever to serve in the top elected Republican House leadership. Elise Stefanik, thank you so much for joining us on The Roger Stone Show. Great to be with you, Roger. Happy New Year. 2024 is going to be a big one. It certainly, certainly is. Uh, Elise, as a 45-year veteran uh, of uh, American politics, uh, I find finding politicians with real courage to be a rarity. Uh, I think there's a great tendency uh, in Washington and in Albany and other state capitals, once people get into office, they kind of go along to get along, uh, take care of their constituents, but avoid controversy uh, at all costs. You, just based on uh, a simple reading of the news, are not that person. Uh, You serve as a senior member of the Armed Services Committee, uh, the Committee on Education and Labor, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Uh, and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. Uh, And you have been extraordinarily active uh, on all your committees. You're fighting so many battles so effectively, uh, it's almost hard to figure out where to start. But uh, you have been a a real vocal critic of anti-Semitism on the campuses. You recently had a hearing that involved the presidents of Harvard MIT and Penn. Uh, Tell us about your concerns in this area uh, and what you sought to achieve with those groundbreaking hearings. Well, thank you for asking, Roger. That hearing made history. The question that I posed the three university presidents uh, was a very specific moral question. It was not a political question. And the question was, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's code of conduct on bullying and harassment? And the reason I asked that question in that way was I anticipated that each of the university presidents would, of course, answered yes. And instead, they all blew it in a historic fashion. And as I said in my question and response to them in real time, the world is watching. And indeed, there were over one billion views in less than a week, making it the most viewed congressional testimony in history. Let me take you a little bit further into the room and the purpose of that hearing. 
So I am a graduate of Harvard. I was the first member of my immediate family to have the opportunity to graduate from college. And I was very proud and I'm still proud to have broken those barriers for my family. And it has been unbelievable to hear the harrowing stories from students, from uh Jewish faculty members, Jewish students on campus who have faced physical assault, harassment, and particularly after the terrorist attack on Israel on October 7th by Hamas, the university's absolute failure to stand strongly to protect Jewish students and stand by our greatest ally, Israel. So I encourage the committee to host that hearing. Uh, I did not anticipate that there would be such horrific answers, and uh, we've now seen the results. Two of those university presidents have been forced to resign. Penn's president, Liz McGill, was forced to resign within a week, and it took about a month for Harvard's president. They tried to hang on. They tried to cover up. Uh, her morally bankrupt testimony. They tried to cover up, after much scrutiny, over 50 examples of egregious plagiarism in her uh, academic and professional portfolio. But ultimately, she was forced to resign as well. And it is just the tip of the iceberg, Roger. I mean, these are university presidents sitting atop institutions where anti-Semitism is on the rise, unfortunately, on college campuses. And it is ingrained in these DEI woke policies that we have seen really capture our higher ed institutions. So there's a lot more work going forward. Uh, so uh, there's no question that your hearings kind of began the process that ended up in Harvard President Claudine Gaines' resignation. Uh, like many Americans, I was outraged when she claimed that she was a victim of racism. There's nothing racist about recognizing plagiarism, plagiarism that violates Harvard's own rules and regulations. Uh, it is amazing that she has then sought to play the race card. Uh, how do you believe her resignation will impact the landscape of higher education, particularly Ivy League institutions? Well, I think it, 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 the hearing had an immediate impact. For example, Stanford and University of Michigan in, you know, a day, I believe, after the hearing, they made a public statement that calling for the genocide of Jews would, in fact, violate their school's code of conduct. And uh, I think it is going to really unveil much more work that needs to happen. And that's why this investigation is so important, uh, looking at the governance structure of these universities. So in the case of Harvard, you have uh, the Harvard Corporation Board that covered up the plagiarism scandal that they were aware of prior to the congressional hearing. They also covered up and unanimously supported her despite her morally bankrupt testimony. You also have the federal funding piece. So each of these universities relies on billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars, and we need to take a close work look at that on behalf of the American people. There's also a foreign funding piece, and that was a question that I asked Harvard specifically in the hearing that didn't get quite as much coverage, but is still very, very important, is these schools are accepting foreign funding funding with strings attached to it, whether it's the curricula that they teach, whether it's the professors that they hire. And this is part of the strain of anti-Semitism. If you look at the cutter money that is flowing into the Middle Eastern studies programs at many universities, specifically Harvard is one of those. And then, as I mentioned, Roger, the DEI offices, which are themselves inherently racist, we need to make sure that we bring transparency and accountability and that there's no taxpayer dollars going to prop up 
these DEI offices. And I'll give you an example at Harvard. Even prior to Hamas's terrorist attack uh, against Israel a few years ago, hundreds of students had reached out to the office of DEI concerned about the rise of anti-Semitic slurs, anti-Semitic attacks and harassment on campus. The office of DEI at Harvard did not even respond. That is unacceptable. Um, so there's a lot of work to do. But People are looking for leadership. And as you said, Claudine Gay in Harvard's statement claimed racism, claimed that it was a well-laid trap. It was not a trap. It was a very simple question. Uh, now, recently, uh, you filed an ethics complaint against uh, Chief Judge Beryl Howell in the D.C. Circuit. Uh, I'm very, very familiar with Judge Howell. She issued a number of unconstitutional rulings against me when I was uh, framed uh, for uh, lying to Congress about Russian collusion that never actually happened. I mean, it's a it's a oxymoron. You can't lie about something that didn't happen. But I was process crime in an attempt to pressure me to offer false testimony against President Trump. That's not what we're here to talk about. But I'm familiar with Judge Howell. Uh, I thought Judge Howell's actions uh, in her rulings against former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who can be heard every weekday here on WABC, uh, were outrageous. Uh, it's interesting to note that ethics complaints against federal judges are extraordinarily rare. Yet you had the courage to file one. Uh, tell us why you did this uh, and, and what are the meat and potatoes of your complaint? Well, Roger, we are seeing the greatest attack on our democracy, and that is the weaponization of the federal government to go after Joe Biden's top political opponent. And frankly, this goes back to 2016, where you had a corrupt FBI targeting the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, in the 2016 election cycle. You had the Obama administration perpetrate the false Russia hoax that, of course, led to the sham impeachment, which I was a part of front and center on Adam Schiff's uh, absolutely partisan impeachment sham. And I was proud to be the leading voice standing up against Adam Schiff. So this is all part of a timeline of weaponizing the federal government. When it comes to the district court judge, Beryl Howell, um, my complaint laid out that she has called Trump a fascist. She implied that his election would be the return of fascism. So this is not an objective judge. She also has been in close contact with Biden, senior Biden officials, uh, senior Obama officials in a personal capacity delivering public speeches. So when we're looking for rule of law, uh, we are not seeing it with these very, very far left radical activist judges who are, frankly, weaponized against President Trump because Joe Biden is doing so poorly at the ballot box because he can't. Joe Biden will not be reelected fairly unless they rig it. And this is part of their attempt to do so. It's important for every American to stand up and fight for election integrity. And this is one way to do that, to make sure that we have integrity in the courts. And when we don't, in this case, it's important to stand up for when you see a judge not abiding by acceptable judicial temperament, for example. Uh, well, it takes enormous courage to file these complaints. As you know, historically, unfortunately, they don't go anywhere, although I'm hopeful in your case that will not be the case. 
Uh, now, you serve on the, on the uh, Oversight Committee looking into the weaponization of the government. Are you satisfied uh, with the pace of the House Republicans' investigation into the business activities of Hunter, Joe, uh, Biden, uh, and uh, uh, Uncle I've been the biggest advocate for the importance of moving that along because I believe the American people deserve transparency. I have always said that I believe this will be the greatest political scandal of our lifetimes and potentially in American history. Uh, you have in the White House currently the head of the Biden crime family, i.e. the big guy, 10 percent for the big guy. The American people are smart. They know that's Joe Biden. We literally have uncovered under the leadership of Jamie Comer, uh, who chairs oversight, Jason Smith, who chairs Ways and Means, and Jim Jordan, who chairs Judiciary, uh, we have uncovered bank records of hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing from Hunter Biden's corrupt uh, illegal businesses with foreign adversaries like communist China flowing right into Joe Biden's bank account. Uh, this is a compromised president. He is unfit for office. And I believe it's very important that all of those facts be made clear to the American people right before the uh, district work period over the holidays, we saw Hunter Biden defy a subpoena and show up to the halls of Congress after coordinating with Joe Biden. That makes Joe Biden complicit in the defiance of the subpoena. So we need to hold these individuals accountable. And I believe transparency is an important part of that process, which is why we're going to continue moving uh, the investigations forward um, quickly to make sure but thoroughly, which is really important. Uh, and then the American people can make their decision uh, come November. And uh, I believe that Joe Biden, as I said, this will be the greatest political scandal of certainly my lifetime and potentially in U.S. history. Well, if you've seen evidence of money flowing, uh, say, from the Chinese that ends up in the bank account of President Joe Biden, doesn't that constitute a high crime and misdemeanor for which he should be immediately impeached? Uh, absolutely. There is a process. We are working through that process. And as you know, Roger, this is a process that the committees go through, unlike how Adam Schiff uh, and Nancy Pelosi ran snap impeachments, which were unconstitutional. Uh, our committee chairs are continuing to make sure that we do all of our due diligence. Uh, but certainly when you have hundreds of thousands of foreign dollars uh, illegally flowing through the son of now the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Uh, those are, you know, I believe that reaches the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. And we are going to uh, continue to make sure that we uh, hold every witness accountable to complying with those subpoenas, including the Biden family members, and continue the process forward. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. So, uh, look, I I was subpoenaed to appear before the January 6th committee. Uh, I fulfilled my legal obligation. I showed up. Uh, I asserted my Fifth Amendment rights, not because I had done anything wrong, not because I had anything to hide, but I had experience with the House Democrats' ability to twist your words into a process crime. Uh, Steve Bannon uh, and Peter Navarro, two supporters of the president, uh, they uh, did not submit to the subpoena. They thumbed their nose at the Congress. They were subsequently uh, charged with contempt of Congress. Uh, They were tried for that. Uh, and they're both facing uh, legal consequences. In all fairness, I should I should mention that both of them have appealed those convictions. But Hunter Biden has now refused to appear consistent with a congressional subpoena. Uh, I would say I would seem to be the next step is for the House to send uh, a, a recommendation over to the Department of Justice, a referral that he be charged. Uh, a, do you think that will happen? And B, do you think that Joe Biden's Justice Department will charge Joe Biden's son with contempt of Congress. Well, I, of course, yes. Uh, we uh, Again, you cannot pick and choose when to respond to a congressional subpoena, a legal congressional subpoena, and Hunter Biden defied that. Importantly, though, Roger, by coordinating with Joe Biden, the sitting president of the United States. So, yes, that is, I support contempt of Congress, and I believe we will move that. I'm urging that to be moved and working with my colleagues to do so. Uh, and But we are going to see, I anticipate, a continuation of how political and radical the Department of Justice has become, because you and I both know that they're not going to pursue that against Hunter Biden. And part of, uh, you know, part of, I believe, this scandal is the Department of Justice's cover-up of Hunter Biden, uh, whether it's the whistleblowers from the IRS that have come forward, or whether it's, uh, you know, thank goodness for that judge who did not approve of that sweetheart deal that was negotiated for Hunter Biden to try to clean things up uh, in the off year before 2024. So there's a lot more layers here that we need to, un, you know, un, to peel to make sure that the American people know all the facts about how absolutely corrupt Joe Biden and his family are. Uh, House Republicans recently elected to remove Kevin McCarthy of California as the speaker. Uh, he subsequently announced that he would be leaving Congress uh, and have selected a new speaker, uh, Michael Johnson of Louisiana, who has appeared here on 77 WABC with John Katsimatidis. Uh, how do you think the new speaker is doing? He's doing great. You know, I know Mike Johnson well. Uh, we worked together before he was speaker, both on the weaponization select committee. He was also my vice chair of the conference. So we worked very closely together. And I've even seen him grow in his role as speaker over the past two months. And what makes Mike unique is he's able to unify uh, members of our conference. And you have a lot of different members with a lot of different districts and different priorities. Um, and it's important to have a speaker leads that we're all rowing in the same direction and focused on the important issues impacting the American people, whether it's the weaponization of the federal government, whether it's historic inflation, or whether it's this wide open catastrophe at our southern and northern border, Roger, which is the top issue for almost every single American, whether you're in New York or Texas. So he is is very focused on that. I think he's doing a great job. And it's interesting. He was the first Republican speaker, um, certainly since I've been there, that earned unanimous support 
reports on the House floor from the Republican members, and that shows he was able to unify. He also understands that the stakes are very high going into this election at the presidential level. And, you know, something I hear consistently from voters, whether they're in my district or across the country, is people feel that we're losing our country in front of our very eyes. That's why this election is so important, because it's a historic election to save America. Uh, Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC. Uh, And we're talking to Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who proudly represents New York's 21st District. She is an extraordinarily courageous uh, and valiant member of Congress, unlike uh, many of the career politicians that I have known through my entire career. She is on the front lines on some of the most important issues uh, in the country. Uh, She takes uh, enormous political flack for her courage, Uh, and for the fact that she is uh, taking actions while others would shrink from doing so. Uh, Elise, you recently sued uh, New York Governor Hochul uh, over their planned expansion of mail-in voting in New York State. Tell us about, uh, about that action. Well, first, Roger, I think it's important to point out, if you look at the midterms, we won the majority out of New York. So we flipped those four seats. And that's because we went on offense and we won on the issues like the crime crisis in New York State, the border crisis. So what have we seen from New York Democrats? They are trying to steal and cheat their way to win back those seats. And the way they're doing that is they're uh, trampling over the rule of law, trampling over not only the U.S. Constitution, but the of the state of New York. So my lawsuit that I filed against Kathy Hochul, Kathy Hochul with Albany Democrats who are corrupt, uh, signed into law legislation in the dark of night, allowing universal mail-in ballots. In New York State, it is very specific and explicit in the state's constitution that when you vote absentee, there are specific excuses that are outlined for being able to vote absentee. It is not a mail state. Uh, And again, it is unconstitutional according to our state constitution. That's why I filed my lawsuit. Uh, I'm doing it in partnership with the with other colleagues uh, in the Republican delegation, as well as the National Republican Congressional Committee and the RNC. And it's important that when we see uh, the left try to rig these elections, that we take a stand as early as possible to fight back, to protect election integrity, which if we lose election integrity, as we've seen, we lose our country before our very eyes. So that's one issue in New York. Another issue that I think is worth pointing out, Roger, because it's very tied into what New York Democrats are doing, is they're trying to gerrymander the district. So as you know, last election cycle, Democrats attempted to gerrymander the district lines in New York State. The people of New York successfully fought back and won fair lines. Now, Democrats led by Mark Elias, uh, the top far left radical election rigging uh, attorney for the left, um, filed a lawsuit. And we've seen corrupt judges rule in Democrats favor. We're going to continue to stand for the rule of law and constitution and fair district lines because that's what the people of New York deserve. Uh, I was uh, aware of that. Now, let me ask you this, Congresswoman. Uh, There's been some discussion of trading funding for some upgrading of the security of our southern border for more funding for the war in Ukraine. Uh, First of all, how do you feel about sending billions more to Ukraine? 
we have significant challenges in our own country, and I will tell you, uh, our top priority is securing the southern border. It is Joe Biden who has refused to secure the southern border. And it's not just funding for the southern border. It's specific policy changes. We passed our border security bill. That's what I want to see as the starting point for, point for any discussion uh, when it comes to uh, January and February legislative packages. And that's where the American people are. The vast majority of the American people are very concerned about our wide open southern and northern border. We've seen it's a national security crisis, as we've seen people on the terrorist watch list pour over our southern border and northern border. So that's what I'm focused on. And, you know, our Republicans are divided. I do not think that we have seen from this administration or from Ukraine uh, what their strategic plan is in terms of utilizing and ensuring the integrity of the dollars. So I have significant concerns. My focus is on securing our southern and northern borders in the U.S. and our domestic issues. Uh, now, you, like me, are a strong supporter of former President Donald Trump and his comeback bid for the White House. Uh, you also served in the House with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis when he was in the House. Uh, how do you think the president is doing? Uh, and how do you think that looks? I think the president is doing exceptionally well. I think he's in a stronger position today than he has been, frankly, at any point, Roger. And that goes back to including 2016. Um, I'm proud to have been the first member of Congress to endorse President Trump's reelection. Uh, we're seeing more and more people every day endorse his reelection. And most importantly, the American people are strong with President Trump. I have said for months now that there is no primary. Uh, Trump is the presumed Republican nominee, and we need to focus on uh, the general election. That's still my position. I think President Trump is going to do exceptionally well in Iowa, well in New Hampshire, South Carolina, and it's going to be wrapped up pretty quickly here. And I'm proud to be one of the top surrogates and one of the top um, you know, leaders in the nation standing up and supporting President Trump's reelection. I also think what is quite telling is if you look at the general election polling in some of the key swing states, Joe Biden is significantly underwater and in trouble. And President Trump is winning most of those swing states. That is the best polling that we have ever seen. Um, but that means that the Democrats are going to get desperate. They got desperate in 2020. They're going to get even more desperate. And when that happens, uh, we saw that they rigged elections, that they shredded election integrity. And we need to make sure that we have a process and a strategy to ensure that we have a free and fair and importantly constitutional election in 2024. You know, there's been uh, obviously a lot of talk about a Donald Trump, Nikki Haley ticket. Uh, I think it is being generated with people with an agenda. I spoke to President Trump on New Year's Eve. He tells me he has no such plan at this time. Uh, but it is, uh, as you know, a very popular parlor game in both New York and Washington to speculate about who the ideal vice president might be. Every single shortlist I have seen by anybody who knows anything about politics well, it has Elise Stefanik's name on it. Now, I know you can't run for this job. I know people don't run for this job. Personally, I think you would be a terrific pick. Uh, how do you feel about being speculated about? 
Well, I'm honored that my name is even being mentioned, Roger, by you. But my focus is I serve as the House Republican Conference Chair. Uh, I serve as the representative for New York's 21st District. And again, I am one of the top surrogates across the country, uh, ensuring that we're in the strongest position to elect uh, President Trump to be the 45th and 47th president of the United States. That is what my focus is on. Uh, I'd, of course, be honored to serve in a Trump administration in any capacity. Uh, but we have so much work to do. The stakes are so high. And on the first part of your question, uh, the latest I checked on the news was that the Haley campaign was running attack ads against President Trump right now. So that's a non-starter. Uh, and we're focusing on unifying voters and the American people in support in support of President Trump. Uh, final question here as we're running out of time. Uh, what do you think the prospects are, a Congresswoman, that America will have a free, fair, honest, transparent presidential election in 2024? I'll tell you, Roger, we saw this even before we got through the on year in the final days of 2023. What did we see in Colorado and Maine? We saw Democrats starting to get absolutely desperate, trying to remove President Trump from the ballot, the most undemocratic, unconstitutional act that you can make. And that shows, I think, what we're up against going into this election cycle, that the weaponization of the federal government that we saw in 2020 is going to be on steroids from the Biden administration and all of the ecosystem on the left. So the American people need to stay vigilant. We need to stand up. That's why that's one of the many reasons why I filed those judicial complaints. It's one of the many reasons why I have a backbone of steel and stand up strongly for election integrity, whether it's my home state of New York or whether it's the work that I'm doing on the weaponization of the federal government. Uh, but I don't put anything past the Democrats. We need to make sure that we have constitutional elections in 2024. All right. I want to thank Elise Stefanik, uh, who represents New York's 21st district, for joining us today on The Roger Stone Show. Congresswoman, thank you. Happy New Year and God bless you. Thank you, Roger. 2024 is going to be a great year.